Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. So we all want to train a dog. It should work like that. We should maybe move from point A to point B, stop there, blah, blah, blah. It's a method. Everything should happen like that. And that's what we train for. So I know exactly what my Altran, we call it the wave dog around the sheep. I know what I want. So I train for that. Um, but then if you just train that, you're making a problem for yourself. Because that's in a very controlled circumstances. You have to learn to put variation in there. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. 
All right, everybody. We are joined with Fonzie Bassone this week. Fonzie, thanks for uh, making time to come on and talk to uh, to us about a world that we're not really familiar with in the gun dog world, and that's the uh, fascinating world of sheep dogs. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Nick. Absolutely. So, you know that there's. Uh, I guarantee you I have listeners right now that are wondering what the heck sheepdogs have to do with gun dogs, right? And so it, the, really the whole point of this episode that I, by the end of it I want to get to is how it translates and what we do with, with working with our dogs and the cooperation and teamwork that it takes and the obedience level to work with dogs at such a great distance that you do. Uh, but I think, you know, let's obviously backtrack and introduce you and kind of explain exactly what you do in your experience okay nick i think um the one thing i want to say about um you know you say um, maybe what do sheep dogs have to do with with hunting dogs and um just just to get us going um sheep dogs are really hunting dogs because they hunt the sheep and over the years their instinct just been changed with breeding so they hunt in a specific way but the way the dog goes around the sheep and, and work the sheep and do all different kinds of them, um, they, it's a prey drive, really. So, you know, there's, there's more similarities, I think, than most people would, would really think about. So so do they really derive from hunting? Like, what, what, what did they, like you said it was prey drive, but did they have a different type of prey before people really directed that in the, in the direction of sheep? Yeah, I'm sure they did because... Um, even if you look like the African wild dogs and you go and see how they hunt, you'll see some of those dogs will, for instance, when they come around, um, they'll push from behind and some dogs will actually go around and flank around their prey. Um, so I'm, I'm 100% sure that there's an old instinct there. Um, and the ultimate thing for most dogs is to get it, to really sort of, you know, take it down um, sometimes, even if you let them. So we teach them and we try to, to breed them so they don't do that. But there's definitely a hunting um, um, instinct in these dogs. And, and I think from many, many years ago, um, when I started out with sheep dogs, I read a lot of um, old magazines and stuff about the UK. And a lot of those uh, old timers, you know, they'll, they'll work the dogs in the day um, shepherding and, and at night they'll go and They'll go and poach um, <laughs> game and all kinds of stuff using the same dog to hunt. Oh, wow. Okay, I, di- I didn't know that. But, I mean, it does make sense, like you said. I mean, either way, you're you're kind of, I don't know if manipulating is the right word, but I guess that's really what it is, is you're taking the dog's drive and just directing it and manipulating it towards the, the job and task that you want the dog to do. So it makes sense that they would also be able to use it in a hunting manner outside of herding sheep. It's a, it's kind of the same drive that pushes both of them. Absolutely. It's definitely the same. So, you know, again, let, let's go ahead and introduce you. And then I, I really want to break down the sheepdog world because I'm not very familiar with it. I know my, most of my listeners aren't going to be as well. Uh, so let's go ahead and introduce you. You know, where, where do you come from and how did you end up uh, working primarily with sheepdogs? Okay, I'm going to try and try and make it uh, not too long, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> well, I grew up I grew up in South Africa um, and I grew up in a sort of a big town, um, you know, not, not as well, a lot of people for the city, but it's a fairly big town. But my passion is always like wildlife and the outdoors and, and, um, seldom got the chance, 
Um, I played a lot of sports. Um, but then when I was 16, um, I think I was driving my mother nuts, to be honest, because um, <laughs> I just wanted to go somewhere. And she she found me a job, a weekend uh, holiday job, basically, on a sheep farm from a friend of him. And uh, it was about around about 3,000 um, marina ewes, and I can't remember exactly. It was about 10,000 acres. And um, <clears throat> I remember the very first day, I was only 16 years old, never been on a sheep farm before. The very first day, um, uh, the, the guy, I, I don't think he knew what to do with me, the husband, because it was like, what do I do with this kid that knows nothing? <laughs> but I liked dogs. I always had dogs at home. And, and he had a little dog called Yapi, and uh, it, was a, it was a Kelpie Border Collie Cross. And I was just fascinated. This thing could run around the sheep, could stop the sheep, and could come back when you call. And I thought it was broken. My very first day, I met this dog. And the second thing I, I uh, <laughs> encountered was sheep shearing. And it's interesting because those two things stuck with me um, for the last, uh, I don't know, I'm going to be 50 in three days. So for the last couple of uh, um, decades, it really stuck with me. And I, I excelled a little bit in sheep talks and I did them shearing, but <laughs> I finally become a fairly good shearer too. Um, so, you know, that sort of trickled my career as a sheep farmer. And I decided I'm going to do that um, after my uh, compulsory military training which we all had to do i went to an agricultural school um which is famous for sheep and goats and um very specific into the wool business and uh, i found a job in that area after i finished up and um you know started farming for somebody um what we call i think what they call ranching mostly we call farming and you know, it wasn't long before I got the first dog. Somebody said, "Well, you should get a sheep dog to help you." And uh, know nothing about that, but I knew dogs. You know, I, I could get on with dogs. So I found a nice little dog, and somehow we managed to get around. I don't know how it worked because I had absolutely nobody telling me what to do. <laughs> I remember one day we were gathering. I had a couple of uh, uh, colored people working for me, and we were gathering up some sheep, just walking. And this pup was just walking with me, and the next moment he just took off and and ran around in a big arc, <clears throat> cast out around the sheep. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, sort of he trained me. It's probably more than I trained him. His name was Billy. That was my first dog. Wow. So he became, uh, you know, he became a really became a really good um, all around type of dog. I I did anything with that dog, and he was a <laughs> bad dog. You know, he went to he went to all the sport things and he went everywhere and he stayed always with me um so it, it was a good it was a good start to me i had a pretty good start uh, on on the type of dog i think i had and sort of set my my uh, course for me a little bit to what i could expect from dogs so so you literally landed with these dogs from a need of really a, a tool with your career and, and on the farmstead and just needing yep. to to have help with these dogs and like you said you know it's it's very similar to when most people say they get their first gun dogs that you know the dog teaches them more so than they teach the dog and so you pretty much just jumped in with both feet because you needed help on your farm yeah basically that's um that's that's how it worked you know we um we found farm big areas like guy I was working for we're about 50,000 acres uh, hectares which is about I don't know, 120,000 acres and um, it's very extended areas so we ran about 10,000 ewes so we had a lot of a lot of ground to cover um, different farms different you know different towns so um, you know a dog just 
Well, I, let's put it this way. A good dog make your day real short. A bad dog make your day real long. So, <laughs> fortunately, I had a, you know, sometimes I make more work than they help you. But um, I was fortunate, you know, I had a, I had a pretty good one to start. Uh, and I, I never even knew there was sheepdog competitions in our country. Um, I remember as a kid, me and my dad would watch, uh, it was called One Man and His Dog. Uh, the BBC in England showed that, and I was like 10 years old. And we watched that, and, you know, I thought about years, years later, I even thought about that. I, but when I was when I was working with dog, I, I didn't even know about people competitions until one day somebody mentioned to me that this guy lived in a town um, called Grafne, which is far away from us. And uh, I thought, okay, that's cool. In the meantime, I got I got married. So my wife is used to the dog, too. So, you know, we went and... Uh, I went to go and visit this old guy. He was one of the founder members of uh, Sheepdog Society, and I think it was founded in 1961. And he was old then. Um, he passed away since, but he was a pretty old guy then. And he showed me, he worked his dog, but his dog was also old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he lived in a small holding, and he put the sheep through the gates and showed me. And, and then he said, well, I want to see your dog work. You know, and I took my dog out and Walk my dog a little bit, and he looked at me and he said, "Well, you better get to a sheepdog trial pretty quick." Uh, so you know, and then I found out where we were holding them, and so that's how I got got sort of. I'm a little bit of a freak for competition. I like to compete, you know. So yeah. that's that sort of suited me well. It's like let's see how good this dog can can be, and uh, that's how we slowly started into the into the competition. So gotcha. So you again, you just kind of landed in the world of competition. It sounds like it just. It just fit for you and, and made a lot of sense. So I want you, let's break down what a sheepdog actually does, because I have a feeling that like most people listening to this, like maybe they're only familiar with sheepdogs here in America, as far as like, if they watched the movie Babe growing up, right? Uh, it, you know, what is just describe the work that the dog does, you know, just take us through a typical sheepdog run as it is on the farm. And then let's kind of compare that to how it is in a competition and trial. Okay. So let's see. Um, so where I lived when I was married, I lived on a property was like 12,000 acres on a mountain and we only ran 2000 sheep in that property, but we had a lot of predators. So we counted all the sheep every week. So you basically walk on foot together there because you can't, you can't, really get on a horse motorbike or it was really uh, a little bit of a rough terrain so you know a dog will do easily 15 to 20 miles on a day like that because you send him out around the sheep left or right you decide and you can go out most dogs you can send them out they can hear you at about a thousand yards if your wind's blowing pretty good and it's you know everything is good they'll hear you that and we seldom send them that far but i would say five six seven hundred yards is an average cast out you might pick up a few stragglers pick the sheep up um, you might redirect him to get another group so all this time you're working in a certain direction of this whole flock um, you might have to turn him back at, at some point to send him back there and then once you got the flock all bunched up you you might take him to a work area or what I did is I just count him right there. So you'll funnel the sheep. The sheep will go between me and the dog and I'll count them. You know, count five, six hundred sheep in one go. The dog better listen because I always thought that's one thing with my dogs, um, which make them good is because I had to count a lot of sheep. Um, and <clears throat> so that will be sort of a gathering day. And then there's times when we were shearing 
or when you're landing. So landing time, you know, you might use the dog actually to catch the sheep. If you if the sheep's landing and the lamb gets stuck and it can't get out, you'll cut you'll put the dog down, shed the sheep off. Shedding off means you cut it off, take it separate, and then you catch it. You, the dog literally had to catch it. Hmm. Um, pull the lamb out, and then the dog might hold the you with the lamb a little bit better before they let it go. Um, so that will be landing. Shearing is, is always the hardest time for dogs because all the sheep had to be moved long distances into the shearing set. Those are the days I have to wake my dog up seldom, but I had to wake them up. But shearing time, I normally have to wake them up because they work so hard in that time. You know, sheep come in, they go out, and it's long distances. Mm. So those are just practical things. Um, and, and, you know, I seldom used one dog. I must probably used two or three dogs at the same time. And so touch on that real quick because, you know, picture picture a big group of sheep. You, you know, you're directing two to three dogs, like you just said, at these distances. You said normally five to 700 yards, but it can go up to 1,000 yards. You know, yeah. what's that like to you're counting sheep or, you know, getting them ready to go shear, but you're also directing traffic with three different dogs? So, I mean, I didn't do this in the beginning, right? I learn how to do this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, well and and this is where the the, the trialing part competition part is good for me because i was like i wanted to basically there's a part in competition which we call brace or doubles and i wanted to do that but basically you'll put what i did is i put all my dogs in the same stop command and same walk-up command and then but they'll all be in different left and right commands and all be in different left and right whistles so i had five different set of whistles um and and the, the idea is that if like if you have a big flock and you have to push it somewhere, if you say go left, you don't want everybody to go left because who's going to flank to the right? End. Right. So it just it makes it so much easier if you can control you know multiple dogs at one time. Um, some dogs get a little greedy, you know. They try to work too much. They compete a lot when they work, but you normally work that out of it before lunchtime because they get a little tired. <laughs> So, so but I, I gotta ask, you know, you just said that you have different commands, your stop, walk up, left and right. I think you, there was a fifth one. Did I miss miss one? Well, basically it's basic commands will be okay, the dog has to stop. Mm-hmm. He has to get up when you ask him. And get up means walk straight in. Um then you have a left and a right. But it's a lot more complicated than that because you might have a big lift or a little lift or a slicey lift or an yeah. open lift. <laughs> when it gets to finer detail, gotcha. the left and right, and then we, we'll put a turn back on the dog, which means go back, uh, turn him around, and then left and right again. And then most dogs will, you know, will say, "Come in here if we want to shed." We'll teach him. So this, this, it's quite a bunch of, of commands put on them. So, so you have all these commands. You said that it, the trick is being able to give the commands to one dog at a time, so that you're not turning or sending all three dogs in the same direction. How do you differentiate and how do the dogs know? Is there just, do you do it by name or a certain whistle and then give a command? You know, how, how do you differentiate to who you're directing traffic? Because this is a lot of similarities in gun dogs when you have multiple dogs in the field and you got this one honoring while that one's supposed to go get a retrieve. Yeah. You know, is there, just walk us through how you do your command structure to where the dogs know who you're speaking to at that level of a distance. Okay, Nick, so what I'll do is um, I'll the dog, I always prefer them to be on different left and right. So let's say traditional will say come by for left and away for right. 
So I'll go, I'll put one and combine away, and then I, I'll say, uh, keep off, go ahead, that's left and right, or behind and get over, that's another command. So, so, so I'm gonna, I teach the dog individual first, right? So we must understand the basics of what we do before I try to work them together. Mm-hmm. But they say I got an older dog, it's fairly well trained, and I got a dog that's upcoming, and I, I think, okay, he's, 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 he's getting to the point now, I start to trust him to work with other dogs. I lay him down at my feet, and if I can't keep him there, I'll have a rope on him. But no, for most of the time, I can keep him there. And I take the older dog, and while this young dog's laying down at my feet, I work the older dog a little bit. And after five minutes or maybe two minutes, I'll stop the older dog, and I'll put the young dog around and lay the older dog down. So but the young dog learns that it's not every time he's time to work because that's the thing. These dogs are so incredible keen to work, they can't help themselves. So. Mm-hmm. All shepherds used to say you train a dog to work and then you train him not to work. Now, that's the situation we almost train him not to work. Then once he gets comfortable to work when another dog lies down, I start to work with him simultaneously. And in the beginning, I use their names a lot. So let's say I have a dog called Sam and Jack. You know, I'll run Sam, get up. I'll say, Sam, get up. And if Jack gets up, I get after him, lie down. So, so, so the names are important in the beginning. Later on, it's not important. But in the beginning, for young dogs, it's important. Um, so, and then it's just a question of you have to be really consistent. You know, if you make a mistake, you can't let it go. You have to stop everything, start over. So, let's say I got him working, and I'm just I'm just practicing now, and I and I say, Sam, um, come by, and Jack take off in a way flank or whatever. I need to stop everything and start over because I can't I can't even get away with it. Now. So, it's very very disciplined in the beginning to get them. They must be disciplined, but you must also be disciplined. But why well, I was fascinated by it because it's exactly some of the things I try to teach doing. So when we, for instance, teach a technique or a method, we, we look at the technique and method and they call it um, the inner focus. And then when we look at what we're trying to achieve, let's say you're trying to hunt a bird, or in my case, I'm trying to put the sheep in a certain spot, it's sort of an outside focus. The majority of people just want to do the second one. You know, they just want to get out there and do the job, but they don't look at the, at the technique because it's only by developing a real good technique and method that you can get a high skill level. And um, it is pretty fascinating how many relations um, or I, I can pull between what they were talking about and the way I teach us that. Yeah. I mean, there's similarities in everything. I mean, you know, everything starts with the foundation, and and what we like to say a lot in the in the gun dog world is it starts in the short grass before you go to the long grass, and so just like you said, talking about getting the dogs used to not working and working with other dogs, you have all these commands that you have to teach prior to going out there, and so one one that is stands out very clearly between your world and our world is you called it stop we call it whoa uh just being able to get the dog to stop when it needs to stop and you know again very similar when we're out in the field with the upland and bird dogs you know you have a lot of dogs that are four or five hundred yards out and you know usually when you're out there hunting wild birds you're not commanding the dog to whoa usually uh, some people do, but you know, that's not the, the goal, but sometimes you need to do it. These dogs are trained to do it at a distance. Walk us through how you go about doing it on the, on the sheep dogs, because 
again, I'm sure it's, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of similarities, you know, take us through step one to when you can trust your dog at a thousand yards. Okay. <laughs> so this, this is going to be a, maybe a little different from what you guys do. Okay. So when, when a young dog starts to work, well, I always believe you can't make them work. So you have to let them work in the beginning. You can't force them. They must want to do it. So there's a phase, I call it the stimulation phase, where I, and it's normally a brief period of time where I sort of give them the sheep quite a bit. I start in a small area and they can almost do what they want to, but I don't let them bite the sheep because most youngsters will come in and they'll bite the sheep. And then when I, when I know this dog's really keen, um, the first thing I do is definitely not put the lie down. And the first thing I do is I get him off the sheep. So I go through the sheep and I put corrections on him, pushing him off the sheep until he stay off. And he can only come back in when I'm backing up. This is all real at hand stuff now. It happens. It happens real close. So once I get him to go off the sheep, you know, I already changed the dog's mind a little bit because now he's thinking about the sheep and me. He's not just thinking about the sheep. Mm. So now it starts to become easy to put the stop on. And we always put this neutral position. That means the sheep's not going anywhere when I try to stop them. But if they're too keen, if they come forward too much on the sheep and you, you think, my goodness, they're coming, they're going to eat. You, you better get them off the sheep first before, you know, before you can try to stop him. And this principle is one of the things I teach from um, beginners to open level. Open level dogs have the same problem. You send them out. Uh, 600 yards, the wind's blowing wrong, they can't hear you, they've never learned to respect the sheep enough, so now they're winding up, they're getting behind them, they come faster and faster because it becomes a chase, and they can't stop. Where if they were backed up the sheep a little bit more and had more feeling and control in the sheep, they would have stopped better. So the first thing that I do is I want that in the dog's mind, and I want the dog to understand, okay, you work the sheep, but it's my sheep, you can't come in and bust them up, um, before I do the lie down, because the lie down can be quickly becomes a very negative uh, connotation for a young dog because he wants to go forward and you keep stopping him mm-hmm. and he doesn't understand why. So before you know it, I always tell people, you're going to run out of your lie downs, keep doing that. And the dog's three years old and you have no stop on him because there is some of them. So if you stop him right, they're very easy to stop in a certain way. But first of all, they must learn not to chase it. The secrets in what I do, and I tell people that, but it is a little bit of a secret if you understand it, right? Because then your problems go away because suddenly the emphasis is not really in stopping the dog anymore because he's controlling the sheep character. So that's a little different, you know. It's uh, um, with us, most people will lie the dog down on the belly, and some people will allow him to stand. Uh, with mine, I, I choose to make him lie down. Meaning, as they grow up, they get older, they can stand, and, and the reason why is just. It makes it easier when they lie down. I'm sure it does. I can see it. And they can learn to wait a little bit for me. Hmm. Um, but I do not try and stop dogs. That's crazy on the sheep, if you understand what I mean. They they have to get off the sheep a little bit first. Though. Gotcha. So so it's kind of like you don't want them to learn that if they're on the sheep to stop. It's kind of learning by association. If they learn that if I'm on the sheep and I stop, that's what you want, then you're just going to have a dog that's stopping all the time every time they get on a sheep. Yeah, unfortunately. And what happens, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, if, let's say your dog come in, like I say, they are hunting the sheep and he comes in behind at a far distance and the sheep really take off and you lay that dog down, then they get desperate because now the sheep escapes. Yeah. 
So the next stop's going to be harder and the third one, you can't stop him anymore because mm. he's not been trained properly. So that's why the, we call it the pace. The pace behind the sheep are extremely important. You know, the dog, the dog should, um, you should not harass the sheep. My, always my rule number one in clinics is, is the, the sheep are the most important thing in what we do. So no dog will harass the sheep. Um, and I let my dogs every now and then, you know, they can defend themselves and it's not that we never bite the sheep. But that's all well controlled, and, and um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real quick story. Yeah. Um, we moved on eventually from where I left, uh, stayed in the Karoo area, and we moved to the Southern Cape area um, about ten years ago, and started farming there. And it's very different, very intensive farming, um, rolling hills and alfalfa and wheat and small grains. So we ran a very intensive sheep uh, set up there. Anyway, so I sent I sent the dog over this hill one day and I knew it was about 300 ewes and I wanted to feed them and I, I was working on my, I bought a little feed car behind my pickup. So the dog went around, some of the sheep came over and the dog didn't come back and you know, after a while I keep whistling, run, come on, come on, come on. Eventually he came over, bring the sheep through the gate and I'm laying down at the gate and I, I drove in a big circle feeding my sheep and when I was done I uh, whistled to load him up and he's gone. And I'm like, man, he never goes anywhere. And uh, whistle, whistle, whistle. He didn't come back, didn't come back. Eventually, I went back to where I sent him. And when I sent him over the hill, there was a pond in the back. And there was one sheep laying down in that pond in the mud that couldn't get out. And he went back to that sheep and lay down there. So I guess what happened, he came around there. The sheep was stuck and he lay down. And then, you know, I got on him. He left that sheep, brought the rest. And the moment I took my eyes off him, he went back to lay down that sheep. Now, you know, that's that's the type of things that um, that I really enjoy about what we do. If you can get a dog to that level where it really starts to sort of make sense to you, you know, what, yeah. what he's doing. It starts but, understanding the job that you guys are really yeah. after. It's, it's you know, yeah. we, we have the dogs that can figure out pretty quick, like, okay, move the sheep from point A to point B. But the dogs that start piecing together – why you're moving the sheep from point exactly. A to point B. That's yeah. when you start getting that level of cooperation that we want out of all of our dogs. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to describe people, you know, to, to, to tell people how that communication works. That dog's mother was an incredible dog. Um, I was, I was driving sheep one day, um, long distance. And I was, I was in my pickup about 150 yards behind the flock and I had two dogs and just casually drive down the road uh, it's just a, like a two-track road in rough country. And I watched her, and she came back in my direction and looked down on the ground and then went back to a flock, driving, driving, and then came back a third time. Eventually, I got I caught up with her, and I stopped there. And then I, I, um, I guess people will know what an art fark is or an ant bear. Mm -hmm. They dig extremely big holes. And he dig the hole right between the two tracks, and the sheep fell in it, and she was standing down there couldn't get out and that dog picked it up that she was down there now as the flock moved over this hole i guess one fell in and uh, you know i would have drove right over it never even think about looking there uh, but she came back and showed me so you know that that's another example of dogs understanding what they absolutely and, i mean and that's that's invaluable uh, as a farmer or, or anybody with a working dog. When they start, you get these dogs as a tool to help you save on effort and time, but then it, it ends up saving you money. I mean, you're, you're a sheep farmer, right? So you got to have sheep to be successful and, and make the, make your money and make your living. Well, 
that's two instances where your dog just helped directly with your bottom line, right? So, you know, you got the dog to herd sheep, but they're actually helping you keep your inventory, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, there's a big difference between, you know, having dogs because of sheep and having um, sheep because of dogs. (laughs) Exactly. So this, this kind of popped a a question in my head, you know, we're talking about a high level of cooperation here that, that really it, it probably was built over years of just work and, and teamwork. But when you talk about dogs and breeding the right dogs to do this, you know, in your opinion, in the sheepdog world, what's more important, drive or cooperation? And, and I know that you're going to say you need both, but, you know, it, which one are you going with if you had to pick one or the other? Well, that's a hard question. Um, it, de- it depends a lot for what, but I tell you what, I'll take a less talented dog that's willing to listen to me before I t- take a hard-headed one that doesn't want to, but just want to do his own. Because you do get dogs, you know, they're just not good listeners. They're very talented, but they do their own thing all the time. Um, I, especially in the situation where I am now, which I, I actually don't have that um, time anymore to, and I don't get up to work my dogs as much. I'm definitely into the one that's, even if he's a little less talented, but he's he's really good listener. He really tries hard. I go for that one at this moment, and that might change. I might go back into work, you know, a big property again and a lot of sheep, and then I'll take that hard-headed dog and make him better. But um, you have to do what you can at the moment, I guess. Yeah. So I want to know you. You've talked a, a couple times about say you're working out to a thousand yards. That you know the dogs have to be able to hear you but you've mentioned you know something like you know if the wind is wrong the direction is wrong or maybe there's an obstruction in the way that makes it hard to verbally communicate with the dogs you know maybe a whistle doesn't cut through it you know we can find ourselves in that situation all the time with these bird dogs while you're out hunting so i'm interested do you have some tricks or or tips as far as being able to communicate with your dog at that far of a distance. Yeah, mother nature is hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, Nick, I don't know. I, I, I think, well, actually, I do know a little bit. I can give you an idea of what I think. It's, it's about in the way you train your dog, too. It's not just a question that he should listen, right? Uh, listening is just one part of it. Wanting to listen is another part of it. So, if you can train the dog where he's actually sort of wanting to listen to you because he want to be right, you're going to find out. I ran two, I ran two dogs for the last two years. One is Jack and one is Sam. And Jack is, is a less talented dog, but extremely good listener. And Sam is a hard-headed, talented dog. And the wind will blow. And we were in um, Missouri, Missouri last year. And there's a big cross drive, like about 250 yards in front of us from left to right and it was about 300 yards long and the wind was just howling and i got out there with sam and i could not make that up i could feel how it's like you lose your power steering i go the same with jack i could whistle softer and he listened but he wanted to listen so you have to learn so it's a type of dog it's a type of training um those things are extremely important and then if you want to be really good you better learn to whistle really good there's, there's no shortcut for that. I don't know. I'm not sure what you guys are using in our um, 
in our setup, a lot of people use different kind of whistles, so we whistle with English. Um, but if you can, I've not seen anybody run a dog exceptionally well that's not a good whistler. So there's not many tricks. But I do know this, if your dog can come out there and just do his own thing because he's not well trained, you have a problem. Eh? He's, he's going to take, we can say, advantage of a situation. That's not really it. He's just not going to listen because he doesn't want to. Right. And so I'm curious. So, you know, you, you're talking about whistling, and obviously this, this whole thing is really about communicating with the dog at distances. Do you have you used or do you have an opinion on e collars? You know, I'm I'm sure that you're not allowed to use those in competition, but as far as just training and and working with your dog on your own farm, do e collars come into play at all for you? No, Nick, not at all. Um, so with with border collies, I think they they're a little different and. We, we bred them now, we, well, they bred them for many years, and I think they sort of finally wired up in their minds, if I can put it that way, and you can screw them up extremely quickly. Um, you know, there's a reason why border collies get fixated with everything. They chase flies and they chase grasshoppers, motorbikes, lawnmowers, anything they can sometimes. Um, so, so they can go mentally, they can go nuts real quick. Um, if, if your dog, most people will put an e-collar on a dog because of a biting problem. And I've yet to see that work in the long term. Yes, you might avoid the bite, but you get serious other problems coming up from that. Uh, so, you know, there's only one way to do what we do and do it right. Is you have to start at hand, close up, do the basics extremely well, and slowly extend that. Uh, um, there, there, no, there is no place for an e-collar in that. Uh. Yep. So, so expand on that a little bit, you know, that, that's what we're kind of, we touched on a little bit earlier, you know, starting up close and then just building off of it, you know, obviously every dog's going to be a little different. There's, there's missing context and uh, in all of this, but just generalize a, a, a dog that you extend that distance out. Like, are you, you're doing one command at a time, teaching it right up front and then you're going out like i mean when you talk about extending the distance what are we talking about here like are you jumping from right in front of you to 50 yards then to 100 yards or are we talking about a much smaller gradual distance extension okay so so let's go back to the to the training out of a small area where you know you might be start you got the dog back off now stop on voice command I stop him in a neutral position, which will be where I know it's easy to stop. That means the sheep will not make him run away. So the next phase will be, okay, now I have to maybe let the sheep move a little bit and then try and stop him. So now there's movement involved. Because it's, it's easy for a dog to stop when the sheep are standing still. When the sheep move, it gets easier, harder and harder. Yeah. And then uh, when I start putting this, Dogs don't just go around the sheep on their own. Some do, but most probably most don't. So we teach him to run out. You know, we, we, we cut him off, we block him off the sheep and push him off a little bit to the sides to open him up. So, and that's where the distancing come in. So you might start with 20 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, and then you might stand, you know, maybe you stand halfway between the dog and the sheep in the beginning so you can push him off. Now, if you're happy with what he does, you don't extend that distance, you just make your distance to the dog shorter. 
So the dog is, but sound-wise, everything stayed the same. So he, he, there's no way he can't hear commands. He's going to hear commands. Then once that is happening, the dog works from your feet at this small distance. Then you can start to think, okay, well, let's test him. I'm all testing a dog. So I might give him a 150-yard outright. Let him come in behind and see if he'll stop for me. Now, if he blows me off completely and everything wins chaos, I'm like, okay, that was too quick. Now we go to 100 yards again. So it's a, it's a bit of a testing game. Um, but there's something else I want to just to touch on that, which I think most people, um, and I think this might uh, cut through all kinds of sports and, and dog sports. Mm -hmm. When you train a dog, we all have an idea of what we want. Um, so let's call that the calibration. So we all want to train a dog. It should work like that. You should maybe move from point A to point B, stop there, blah, blah, blah. There's a method. Everything should happen like that. And that's what we train for. So I know exactly what my outrun, we call it the way the dog around the sheep. I know what I want. So I train for that. Um, but then if you just train that, you're making a problem for yourself because that's in a very controlled circumstances. So you have to learn to put variation in there. So, and this is where I teach my dogs to listen to me. If my dogs really want to go to the left, I make them go right. If they really want to go, I make them stop. If they want to stop, I make them go. I call it game of opposites. But you can also see I train variation in my dogs, but not calibration. Calibration is important. That means the dog should know what he's doing when everything is right. But then can I change that? And that's where the dogs get really good is when I can make them do the unnatural thing on command. And if I leave them, they should do the natural thing. So that's something to play with a little bit. I'm not sure if that's applicable with gun dogs. No, I, it absolutely is. I mean, especially, you know, just putting in the form of what we already talked about dog training. It's dog training, especially in terms of basic obedience. You know, something as simple as heel. You know, we do a lot of heel work with these dogs. And if you have a dog that's constantly pulling out in front of you, you you know, a lot of people, they want to speed up. Well, that's just going to make the dog go quicker. And it's also rewarding what they want. So you need to do the game of opposite. You need to do, you need to slow down. Same thing. If the dog's pulling off to the left, go right. And it's, it's the same thing. And, you know, that's what we're all after when we're training these dogs. You know, if, if these dogs just came out of the box doing exactly what we wanted and we didn't have to train it or teach them, then exact, there would be no dog training, right? They would just do what we want, but that's, yeah. that's not what we're doing. The, literally the entire thing that we're doing with dog training is getting them to do what we want them to do on command and the level of distraction uh, in the face of what's driving them, in our case, birds, in your case, sheep, that's that's really the testament because in our world, we can get our dogs to do a lot in this backyard, you know, especially if yeah. you start doing with rewards or e-collar or pressure, whatever, whatever method people are using, you can get your dogs to do it when, if your dog has a lot of bird drive, there's no birds, but you put a dog in front of birds, their entire demeanor changes. Everything changes now. Yeah. Now, I think that if you can get your mind, um, you, you almost have to train for the wrong a little bit, if you can put it that mm -hmm. way. Some, mm -hmm. One day they watched me train and I said afterwards, she said, I know what my problem is. I train, I train to get it right. You train for it to be wrong yep. and you fix it. 
So, you know, I'm pretty good at making a mess or something. A controlled <laughs> I call it controlled chaos and then try and teach a dog in that moment. And that comes from years and years working a lot of sheep and, and know what a mess looked like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I always think to have to make a good mess, you must know what it looked like. So <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I call it train hard, test easy. You know, in, in our test, you, yeah. you can come across anything in, in a uh, in a hunt test. You can deal with birds that don't fly. You can deal with gunner issues. You can deal with, you know, people getting the wrong way. You know, when you start dealing with wild animals, uh, anything can happen. So, you know, if, if you test in a perfect or if you train in a perfect scenario 100% of the time, you know, and your dog's not equipped to to handle with something that doesn't go perfect, then you're in for a world of hurt during that test when you need it most. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, so I'm curious. You know, you're talking a lot of verbal at this distance. Do you overlay any hand signals, or when you're talking at a thousand yards, it's kind of pointless? You know, can they can hand signals work that well at that great of a distance? So, you know, we, we try and stay away from that as, as because we want the dog's attention on the sheep all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't want the dog. We always feel like it's a bit of a weakness if a dog keeps looking at the handler. Yeah. Because, you know, within a blink of an eye, a sheep make a bad move and get away or, or something like that. So so there's people that I've seen, they use a little bit of hand signals, but... Um, no, we try and what 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 we well we use our body position a lot. So we move a lot in the beginning to each with pressure. So you might have a rolled up plastic bag in my hand and bang it to my side. Um, but eventually that's going to go away too. But as far as you know, a specific hand signal for a specific side, um, I've seen that very rarely in my life, and and I try to stay away from that because I want the attention on the sheep all the time. Makes sense, especially, I mean, yeah, when the whole goal is keeping sheep organized and moving yeah. in a certain direction, I'm sure one sheep getting out of formation can pretty much ruin the entire drive. Yeah, it can, yeah. They can get away from you sometimes, huh? Yeah, awesome. Well, I mean, what what am I missing about this, this whole sheepdog world, you know? Is there anything else that you can think of that would be beneficial for us as gun dog people or just dog enthusiasts in general that, that there's some overlap that we haven't touched on already? You know, I, I, I've only wanted, hunted with dogs once or twice in my life, and they were really good ones, so I was a little spoiled. Um, <laughs> so it's, I don't know much about, um, you know, um, about the hunting dog training so it's it's um but but i do think that uh, i think your game as well as our games is there's big differences between dogs you know we always say this in the sheep there's more differences in a breed than is between breeds yep and and i think you know if, if i can just generalize and say that in my world most people do not acknowledge that different types of dogs can be handled a little different and they're not all going to suit you. Uh, that's that's you know that holds people back. I can't I can't tell you how much because once they once you give them to like you tell them that that's like a challenge. Like no 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 I I'll get this. No, I don't think you're going to get it. But go ahead and try. And then the last ten years you've been trying to do something with this dog. It's not possible. Yeah. I do think all dogs have limits. Uh, I think people need to learn to you know to think about what type of dog will. And I think it's the same in your 
in what you guys do. Absolutely. It, it, it is. You get a lot of people, you know, especially first-time buyers, you know, they, they pick a breed because it's what their friends have or it's what they think looks the best. And, and there's certain traits and, and differences within different lines and breeders that would be a better fit for them. But, you know, they just kind of, I'm going to get a bird dog. And it's not until they're, you know, a few years down the road that finally it it it, it gets through their head to where it's like, oh, there might be an yeah. easier way for me on the next one, right? Yeah, and I, and, you know, I'm not saying give up on a dog. I'm one that I tell people, your first couple of dogs, you need to get them to the point where you can actually compete with them. Right. No, we don't. We don't have to be good at it, but you know, competing in our world is all those things I just described when I said. You know all the things I did with my dogs. That's a competition, just a refined form of it. So you know all dogs can go left, right, and stop and walk up. And you have to learn to take them there. And then if they if they're no good and you can't get on, then it's time to let go of them. Um, but but you know as human nature, we can be a little quick to get to want to have results. I think and um, right. So sometimes we're a little greedy in that department instead of just learn learn the trade right on the ground first you know get the basics really good and take it slow yep makes sense and i mean that that's a good good tip for anybody in any world with with dogs and and i'm just curious you said that you've only uh hunted a couple times with with some good dogs and, you know is that uh just from lack of opportunity or lack of time or lack of interest you know are you just busy with other stuff or is that something that you would like to do if if the opportunity presented itself yeah, I think I quite I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I I would say all of those you mentioned was probably was uh, was probably lack of opportunity, lack of time. Yeah, um, I'm just lucky that I can go to one place where the ladies is quite an interesting household. She runs sheepdogs, and the guys are hunter, and you got German shorters, and uh, so it was just an opportunity every time I come up there, and it's that time of year. He lives close to Denver. We'll we'll go out and and hunt a little bit. Uh, gotcha. And, you know the the best I've ever, and I like I have no idea. Like I said, in South Africa, gun dogs is not a big thing. Um, uh, this specific day, we were hunting, and he had a young dog, and the dog picked a bird up for me, and he pointed another one while he had one in his mouth, and I thought that was one of the coolest things I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, th there's some oh. good ones out there, and and you're down in Texas, right? What what part of Texas are you in? Yeah, we're just uh, southwest of Dallas. Uh, we're in a Heiko Stephenville area. Okay. Situated now. Well, 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 I'll tell you, I'll have to find you somebody down down there in your neck of the woods if you wanted to give uh, give hunting with some dogs a, a few more opportunities. I guarantee you we can, we can line that up, especially some guys down there with, with these field trial dogs that need some help communicating with their dog when they're 800 yards out, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get involved in that one before I know more. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Well, Fonzie, I appreciate it. Is there anywhere that you would like to direct people if they're interested in contacting you for for training tips or questions or just to check out some cool sheepdogs? Um, well, at the moment, I my sort of my website in. Uh, it's a little bit um, at shangles. We we stopped it because we're working on it. But uh, they can get me on my Facebook page. Um, I I also got an Instagram. They can just Google my name. Okay. It'll, it'll, that's most probably be easy. I I do have an online uh, training platform through Learn Worlds, 
Um, but they're going to have to get to me to get that address. It's a little complicated address to get to them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to, uh, link, link your accounts on social media when we do, do the post for this episode. And, and Fonzie, I appreciate you taking the time and learning us up on some, uh, sheep dogs. You know, that's something that, that we don't get to experience. And I think, uh, especially here in America, most people don't understand just how big that world is when you start talking about international competition and, and contests, right? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, this, the sheep business in America is a little down, so there's not a lot of dogs, but when if you go down to Australia and um, where dogs are extremely important, New Zealand, the UK, they still um, really, really work dogs. South Africa, there's a lot of work dogs. So um, there's, there's a big world out there and, and they still play a real big role in the, in the farming and the everyday existence of farmers. Huh? Yeah, awesome. Well, again, thanks for making time and uh, we'll have to check back soon with you. Okay, thank you for having me, Nick. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt, or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us. Dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, Harold, sheepdogs, what did you think about it? Were you excited going into it, or were you like, really, sheepdogs? There's no gun involved in that. <laughs> I was actually really excited, mostly because I have a bit of a sheepdog, I guess, of myself. <laughs> Cue the meme. You, you might have the breed, but you don't. it's never seen a sheep in its life, probably. Yeah, it's seen some, some it's seen livestock, it's seen some pheasant, it's seen squirrel, but it's not ever probably seen sheep, but... <laughs> He, he's a beautiful Sheltie. He he does love, he does have that natural herding thing. I guess like I can see the natural herding thing in him, um, like as you can see that in a bird dog. So, um, you know, yeah. it kind of just makes sense. Well, I mean, did you know, like, obviously it doesn't translate into what we normally talk about on this episode. or It, it kind of loosely does, and that's why we had him on to talk about it. But like... At first glance, you see sheepdog, you're like, eh, how does that connect with the hunting dog or gun dog world? And so, did you know anything about the sheepdog world or even the sheepdogs and just the type of training they do before no, listening to this? I did not. I, like I say, I just, other than knowing that some of that herding was like instinctual, aside from that, I had, I had no clue as far as how they go about doing anything or like, running directing that dog especially trusting that dog far out and like recalling that dog and uh, driving that dog yeah 
So you had never even seen it until I told you to watch some videos on YouTube. And so we just looked it up real quick. And like, it's one of those, like if you listen to this episode and you, and you didn't come away with a, a true understanding of what the sheepdog guys did, uh, go check them out on YouTube. Right. Like it's just, it's really impressive when you see a good quality sheepdog, whether it's in a competition or just some kind of demonstration and what they do. And then it's going to kind of click and make sense into you as why why we had him on to talk about like just the obedience starting close so that you can go far and if you can get a dog to listen to you from just a whistle or your voice you know 500 to a thousand yards out that's impressive and that that's really i think where the overlap is especially in the upland dogs i think um you know i don't i've never had a flushing dog or a lab but Kind of saw some overlap in that even, I guess, with the signaling and with the, with like the tones and the whistles and like, um, just not the range then just not the range, yeah. but similarities in that. So it's kind of some overlap probably for flushing people or labs even to some extent, just to kind of, you know, see, uh, how some of this relationship is built with the handler and that dog. Yeah. And I, I think the most important thing to take away from this is the training starts up close and goes far out. So it starts in the short grass and goes to the tall grass. What we talk about all the time, if you can't get a dog to listen to you and obey you right next to you, how are you going to do it when they're two, 300 yards out? And, you know, you need them to point that bird or, you know, not even two, 300 yards out, but just 50 yards out. You know, say you got a close working dog. Uh, you need that dog to be, to mind you when it, when it's that far out, especially, you know, in a safety situation, maybe it's running towards a road or, or whatever, whatever you can imagine. I think there's a lot of overlap there and just back to the foundations, which we preach all the time and start in the short grass, start in the backyard before you go out there. You can't, you can't go give a woe when the dog is 80 yards out in the field. If you haven't taught woe up close in the backyard first. Yes. Yeah. You can't teach it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you agree with me. So, I mean, what besides that, what other what was the other main thing that like you took away from it that stands out to you in your in your eyes? Well, I guess to kind of segue from that is kind of when you're saying, "Hey, how do I get this dog to listen to me up close and far away?" Obviously, in our world, you know, there's a lot of check cording and then trans laying overlaying to e-collar and then in that world that's not really a thing. Right. So that I think that was um, interesting uh, to see, especially you know, like I said, what, what, like you suggested, watching some videos on YouTube of this because it's really fun to watch and it's kind of interesting to see that they kind of uh, do that completely differently. Than yeah, how I mean, just it. just imagine all the stuff that they have to do out there in the fields, uh, and we're a lot of times in the hunting dog community. So if people start using e collars. How many of them do you think like really become overly dependent on the e-collar, right? It's very easy to do because it's a tool that you just charge up and you have control. Obviously, that's the whole point of it. Control. Yeah. And, but, you know, you asked Fonzie in the episode and he was, I mean, you could tell that like that would never even cross his mind to even needing an e-collar. And it just goes to show if you go about this the right way and teach it and train it the right way, you don't need an e-collar. And, you know, we all come from the world. We've talked about it before. I think the e-collar makes our lives easier if used appropriately. Um, 
But for those people that are saying, oh, well, it's sheep dogs, it's not bird dogs on birds. These dogs, again, go watch the videos because they are crouched. They are pointing these sheep like they are very intense. They have a drive and you're still asking them to go against them wanting to attack the sheep to herd them. So it's like it's very similar in that regard. So it is really impressive to see them get this reaction out of the dogs without the need of an e-collar, which, again, we've talked about it on our end. We're not against them. We personally use them. Uh, clearly, Fonzie doesn't, but that's okay. He doesn't need to, right? And he still has success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you don't need it, I think that's even – it's kind of more impressive in some ways. Yeah. Um, so was there anything specific that you guys didn't dive into that you – like regret not going into yeah so i had it on my list and and i just didn't get around to it it just didn't really work into the flow of the conversation is one of the coolest things that these sheepdogs do is obviously they herd groups of sheep into specific locations and areas but then they have to go in and by the direction of the shepherd pick out specific sheep from that group in a small pen and guide them out of there or take two out of five over there, two out of five over there, and, like, specific sheep. So, like, you know, these sheep have, like, blue or red collars, and the judge might tell you, like, hey, pick blue or red collars, and you have to get that out of the entire group. Imagine doing that with your bird dog in a pen full of birds. No, I don't want that duck. Go get that duck. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, just watching. That duck has a band. Go get it. (laughs) Yeah, get the banded one. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of watching the videos of them do that. It's kind of made me think about that parallel of, uh, yeah, like we have a hard time finding birds. And these guys got to find a herd of sheep to to work their dogs on. Yeah, birds have definitely come come by in the hard. There's been a real big shortage of birds all year and imagine needing sheep to train but these guys that are in it man like again we we talked about it in the episode and here in america we may not understand or recognize how big this industry is but you start looking on youtube and online like it's is huge when you go overseas it's just huge it's uh it would probably put like the amount of bird dog competitions we have here to shame as far as how many people show up to watch them uh, but it, it's just an interesting world, completely different than what we're norm- used to normally. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, anything else that you thought was worthy of note or I'm just, I'm a little disappointed in the lack of happy day references. Um, happy day references. Yeah. Oh, Fonzie. Yeah. I got joke you. almost flew right over you. It did. It almost missed me. You know, but, last week we had Bruce on and I, we could have had some. ELO, don't let me down, Bruce. It's just like, we're, these are teed up here and uh, they're going away. <laughs> hey, man, you know, that's why we brought you on, man. We were missing too many opportunities. We needed, we needed a fresh change of pace and, and some horrible jokes that nobody gets, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Fonzie was f- great. And, you know, I heard him on another podcast a couple years ago. And then this actually came from a recommendation from uh, Chris Elliott. A couple months ago, and you know, I've we've been playing phone tag and trying to get them on ever since. But uh, Chris, appreciate the the recommendation, and and I always appreciate it when listeners come to me with topics, but can also like connect me with a good quality guest, right? You know, 
getting a good quality guest is great, but without a topic, okay, we got to figure out the topic. You get a good topic, but no guests. It's like, okay, then I got to go digging and find that. So it's like I take all the recommendations that people give me, and I just I have a running list, and I try and piece it together. But, you know, just wanted to throw that out there that we do appreciate listeners saying, hey, I'd like to hear from this guy on that topic. It's just boom, boom, makes it easier, mm-hmm. right? Totally. I think it uh, – because there's, you know – we we don't think of everything obviously and uh there's time like that's something prime example of a lot of overlay um and it's just something interesting if you're into dogs in general and training that i think that anybody would be fascinated kind of diving into that at least mm-hmm. for an episode and a quick youtube search yeah exactly so uh speaking of reaching out and helping us out uh supporting the podcast the survey went great appreciate everybody who took the time to fill it out we're still going to leave it up for a little while uh so if you have a moment and you want to do us a favor fill it out we'll still get you know shoot you a sticker if you want to uh but we're going to go ahead and do the drawing for the yukonuba giveaway for three months of food so it's going to be a you know that's obviously a pretty generous giveaway in my opinion that gives you a chance to transition your dog to the new food and plenty of dog food to try out and it's coming up right on hunting season so it could be like a very noticeable change for you right so uh you know unless you got something else to add i'll go ahead and start off i I think i'm going to read the names and the four names that i list off it's the three months uh, free of Yukonuba. If they're listening to this podcast and they respond and hit me up by Friday, is that fair? Sure. By Friday, hit me up and you'll get it. If not, we're going to draw another name and go with them. That sound fair to you? Yeah. All right. So It's exciting. <laughs> wait, where's the drum roll, man? Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, don't do it. Don't can, do it. I won't do one here, but maybe <laughs> I'll answer it one. I don't know. We'll see how much time I have. So uh, you got Jeremy Lowry, Rose Danaher, Dustin Nichols, and Artin Marushin. All right. Congrats, you guys. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we definitely appreciate everybody who filled out the survey and entered in. Uh, you know, everybody that requested a sticker is going to get one. Uh, obviously, these people get the dog food if they respond by Friday night. So, lots of stickers going out in the old USPS. And these are, these, this dog food situation is exciting. I'm excited for the uh, winners here. And thank yeah. you guys for filling out the survey. We really helps us, uh, move things along here mm-hmm. and speaking on helping us move things along uh again here in the next few weeks i want to start transitioning over to more hunting concepts and i got a few text messages and emails from some friends uh after last week's episode when i threw that out there kind of giving us some good feedback and ideas on some topics uh and then we got to go find some guests and everything which is fine but uh if you have specific uh, topics or guests, you know, besides the how do I kill more birds, right? You know, it, that's very vague. Like, I want, we want just like the training topics we do, we want it, you know, how does this particular skill set translate over into the grouse woods or the chucker mountains, you know, stuff. You know, if it's something that I'm not familiar with, it's going to take a second to find a guest. So the sooner you get your recommendation into us, I can start reaching out. Harold can start reaching out and we can start trying to do some good guests, but I don't know about you. I'm in hunting frame of mind. You know, it's still training season, but it's a thousand degrees outside. 
I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for winter. I'm ready to hit the woods, hit the prairies with my dogs and go shoot some birds. Why we got into it. And so my mind is on hunting, you know, training season is wrapping up. So we'll obviously we'll come back to it and still talk about the dog, the training as we go through these episodes. But I don't know about you, like I'm ready to really jump in with two feet into hunting topics. Yeah. My, my mind's always on hunting, really. <laughs> I just, I train and I fish to pass time. Yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> so, see that. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. And this year it's funny cause normally I'm out in the yard shooting my bow and getting that dialed in to go get some early whitetail. And I'm really haven't done that much. And I'm kind of just thinking about early honkers and early teal <laughs> right now. So you don't have any desire to go deer hunting this year. This is your first full full season, full hunting season with your dog, though. Mm-hmm. So like you did, you got her last late December, yeah, so like you got her late season. season. So yeah, I I've been there to where it's just like I don't even want to go deer hunting, but uh, I, you're gonna want to go deer hunting because at the end of the season, if you don't go, then that freezer looks pretty empty oh, yeah. because it's hard to fill a freezer up with some upland birds, at least especially where we're from down here in Tennessee. Yeah, I will. Uh, I certainly will go deer hunting it's just i'm usually a little bit more hype about it than i am it's just it's literally i'm looking at it as a a freezer filler situation like i you know it's just, and that's kind of what's caveated me into the the uh dog anyways just because i you know i just go out and shoot a few deer and get them in the freezer to eat off of and i'm happy to go get a variety of other things such as ducks and birds and you know whatever Maybe some else. squirrels or rabbits yeah that too yeah we just had rabbit uh, a couple nights ago actually yeah pan fried we're, we're, we're gonna have to have you do some like little cooking videos at some point or something <laughs> me cooking hank shaw's recipes <laughs> yeah, pretty much but, <laughs> but yeah no I, that's that's what i'm looking forward to is, is really getting back into the hunting swing of things and then of course you know by the end of hunting season uh i'll be ready to all right let's get into training season again but uh yeah any anything you can think of you know the just shoot them to us and uh, we'll be happy to take a look at it and discuss. And, and again, if you have some specific people in mind for those topics, even better. But uh, if you don't have anything else, uh, you better have one thing ready right now. And that's a review of the week. I do. I do have a review of the week here. You better or else um, you're going to be fired real quick. <laughs> it's from Landon. I guess we say their names. Did we say their name? If you put it in the... He did put it in here. He put Landon Lippinen. That's what I'm going with. Mm. What's his username? Busy guy from Minnesota. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say. He's from Minnesota. It's pretty cool. I got married in Minnesota. (laughs) Um, So his review says, I had just picked up my versatile breed puppy, DD, a little over a year ago. Once I found this podcast, I listened to it nonstop till I knocked them all out. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> the knowledge shared between the host and guest has been the biggest help I've ever received with training a dog of any breed. From a brand new puppy to training to testing, there's no way I could have done it as smoothly as I did. Keep up the great work and thank you very much. Signed, Landon. Now, that's a bit, that's a big review. That's a big review. Appreciate it, Landon. Coming uh, from a DD guy, yeah. a drop guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's... That's awesome. I'm glad that we could help anybody in any way, but you know, for him to say that we pretty much helped him on everything from, you know, just 
basic obedience to testing and, and everything that, that means a lot and that's ultimately why why we did this again uh we and really appreciate it it also drives home the fact that those old episodes still uh Hold yes, and yes. Worth listening to if you're a new listener. We do need to touch on that real quick. So we've been getting a lot of people asking for specific topics uh, that we've already covered in the past, and we still have, plan on coming coming back around and covering some more again. But we have a huge library. I mean, we've been doing this. You know, there's a hundred other episodes out there that we've touched on a lot of the stuff that you might be interested. So on our website, gundogityourself.com. We are in the process of setting up different playlists for you. So say that you're in the middle of puppy training, like uh, Landon was at one point and listening to it. You want to see all the behavioral theory or basic obedience theory or just foundational episodes. You know, you'll have boom, all right there. And then force fetch retrieving episodes, boom, right there. Uh, you're a hound guy. You like the hog episodes. You, you like the coon hunting episodes, boom, right there. Uh, we're just trying to make it easier for people to search by topic and and subject as you go through some of them because I mean you know forgive me some of the early ones they're they're pretty uh, rough on the audio content while we were figuring it out I go back and cringe listening to me on the first few episodes I mean there's some current episodes that I cringe on on my how I speak I'm, or I'm how I come right across <laughs> I, I bet. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those, like, there are some really good information back there. And, and it's funny, like, when I get on the phone with some of the guests that call and ask questions, I'm referencing a lot of episodes that we've already covered. And yes. I'm having to go back and I'm like, what number was that? Okay, so that's what we're going to try and do. If it's not up today, it will be up soon, sometime this week. Uh, but, yeah, we just wanted to make it easier for the people that are, you know, have specific things that they want to hit. I think last week I got hit up about force fetch. I got hit up about how do you plan a hunt. I got hit up about basic obedience. The the key things that we always get hit up on is just like, hey, just go to the website. Boom, right there. Listen to it. Yep. You go, to, you go there and it'll be like a – it'll look like a Spotify player. And it, it is. It's an, an embedded Spotify player. So, um. And don't, yeah, I guess that's also to let you know our stuff is on Spotify too, if you happen to use that as well. So it's on all platforms, it's on all of those. All so. of, well, if well, there's anything else, I don't think that, I think that's it. So, all right, well, we'll wrap it up and we'll be back next week with, uh, with a return guest. That's right. She's been on a number of times. I'm sure you all can guess it and look forward to that. So appreciate everybody listening. We'll, uh, talk, talk next week. Yep. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. 
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.